Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Guys, hello. How are you? After so much feedback on my last week's podcast episode on an open letter to the premieres, um, I thought I would do another one today, an open letter to the church on these COVID mandates. Um, Last week, well, over the past week, I have literally had my inbox flooded with so many of you telling me uh, stories of what's going on in your life at the moment, particularly around these mandates. I normally do get back to each and every one of you, and for those of you that asked, I absolutely have added you to my prayer list, which is increasingly um, growing, but I know that things are feeling, uh, you know, it's kind of coming to a bit of a climax at the moment, because here in Queensland, as of December the 17th, um, that's when all of our unvaccinated people are going to be locked out of a lot of society. Now, my understanding is in New South Wales at the same time, the passport, the vaccine passports are being dropped. So where they're being dropped in one state, they're being picked up in another. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so dropped in New South Wales, picked up in, in Queensland, and then apparently they're continuing in Victoria. Um, I think also there's a lot of mandates about to happen in South Australia as well. So I know that a lot of you are just really feeling it right now. It's um, just uncertain times. So I wanted to talk to um, the church as a whole today. I feel like I'm the best person um, to do this because I absolutely love the church. I have gone to church my entire life. I believe in it with my whole heart. Uh, Cameron and I, as you know, run a church. I'm a pastor as well as a teacher. I have so many pastor friends. I adore them all. And being a pastor is not easy. You know, it's emotionally, it's a very huge toll um, at times. It's a job that kind of never, never ends. It feels very 24-7 a lot of the time. You never really kind of get a break, but it's, it's also the best job in the world. And it's the hardest kind of all at the same time, you know, trying to lead a group of people right now who have very divided opinions on what's going on and what's right and what's wrong. That's not easy. So as, as pastors, we actually have to watch every word that comes out of our mouths because we want everyone to, to feel loved and to feel accepted. But I do feel there's something that I'd love to remind us about today And I know that this needs saying because, like I said, my inboxes are flooded with people reaching out to me. So when I say, dear church today, I'm actually talking to all of us, all of us that are a part of a church, not just the leaders, all of us. I'm reminding myself, I'm talking to everyone who is part of a church, you know, don't just leave it to the leaders and the pastors, but I am talking to pastors and leaders too. All right, so here we go. Dear Church, I'm not quite sure how to begin because I know how hard these current times are for us, but I also can't ignore my inbox full of messages saying over and over, thank you, thank you for speaking out, but why are you one of the only ones? Of course, this is in relation to the vaccine mandates, lockdowns, 
people losing jobs, and especially the discrimination and segregation happening in most of our states right now, where vaxxed are given freedoms while unvaxxed are being locked down. It's about the demise of our freedoms and shutting down of free speech and free choice. People are suffering, truly suffering, and for the most part, they're doing so quietly. And I understand why, because even I have double-guessed myself for speaking out. Even I have been called an anti-vaxxer over and over again. That doesn't really bother me except for a couple of reasons, although I really wish everyone would stop, because number one, it's just not true, but I don't owe anyone my vaccine history, and I don't ask you yours. And number two, why is anyone who's fighting for freedom and against mandates automatically assumed to be anti-vaxxers? They are not. This narrative is wrong and needs to change. Don't you know what an anti-vaxxer is? It's someone against all vaccines. Nearly everyone I speak to who is hesitant on this vaccine have had all their others. So the anti-vaxxer label has been peddled by the media until it has become accepted by all. But it's a lie. And what if a few of us actually are anti-vaxxers? Aren't we allowed to be? Isn't that our right as free Australians to make that choice? Why are we being part of labelling and falsely accusing people? And have we not considered that there are vaccinated people among us speaking out against forced choice? I know there are. Did you see the rallies that happened on Saturday all around our country? Melbourne had upwards of 400,000 people. They happened in Adelaide, Perth, Sydney. I was at the Brisbane one. There would have been at least 80,000 people there. This was the largest rally nationwide in our country ever. Are we watching? Are we listening? What are we afraid of? Do we know who these people are? They are normal, everyday Australians. They are people from our churches. They aren't marching against a vaccine. They are marching for people's right to choose if they want one or not. They are marching for freedom. They are marching for our basic human rights. They're not marching against anything. They're marching for. James McPherson, contributor to The Spectator, said it brilliantly this week. He said God created three institutions for the welfare of society, family, state, and church. For a society to be healthy, it's to the extent that these three function properly. Now, when church oversteps into family, it becomes a cult. When it oversteps into government, it becomes a theocracy. But church overreach is not our problem right now. State overreach is, he said. Overreach by the state into family and church has largely been ignored the last decade, leaving them weakened when we most need them. According to James, the big question confronting us right now is not one of vaxxed versus unvaxxed, but one of how much control should the state be allowed to exercise over individuals. He continues, It concerns me greatly that the church seems to have nothing to say about this. If the church will not even defend an individual's bodily autonomy against the power of the government, who will? 
And he finishes with a statement, and what bulwark is left between an individual and the all-powerful state when the next for-your-own-good mandate is issued, as it will be. I continue. As the church, we should be loving and fighting for all people, but the silence coming from our doors is making many feel isolated. As the church, we have fought against discrimination and openly, verbally welcomed everyone with loving arms. Don't most of us hold up signs on Sunday that say, Welcome home and you belong here? When have we ever locked anyone out? Will we now hold up signs saying, Vaccinated only belong here? In some states like Victoria, the government have made it almost impossible for churches to open to all. They are threatened with massive fines, and I understand that pastors have the roughest time ever right now trying to navigate this. Their heart is never ever to exclude anyone, and yet their hand is being forced. And I know the pain this has caused many churches. That is why it is even more important for us in other states to rally, to support, to fight. When one part of the body is struggling, the rest must help, because it might be us next. Church, let's think forward. I understand we might not want a target on our backs right now. But if the government are mandating vaccines today, what might they mandate tomorrow? If they are punishing people for making autonomous bodily choices today, what might they punish us for tomorrow? And what if we are not okay with what they try to do tomorrow, church? What then? When will we lift our voices and be heard right throughout our states, saying, enough? It doesn't matter your opinion or my opinion on the vaccines. Nobody in our care or on our watch should be suffering silently and alone for a choice they have every right to make. Nobody should be unable to visit a sick loved one. Nobody should lose their job because of a mandate. Nobody in this country should be unable to go and get themselves a coffee for goodness sakes. When one hurts, so we should all hurt. When it was announced here in Queensland that places of worship could still all meet together after December 17, that was good news, and many churches posted about it. But while we were celebrating that from our social media platforms, there are many people within our churches that on that very same day will be losing jobs. That's why I couldn't bring myself to celebrate. Because while it is good news that our faith is considered essential here and most other states, and we all get to keep our jobs, I couldn't help but feel gutted at the knowledge that simultaneously many people in our churches and around the country, churches around the country, are grieving and scared because that will be the week of their last pay packet and right before Christmas. But have we posted about that? Person after person from different churches right around Australia have shared with me their stories, their fears, their angst and their anger. Are we all hearing them? Do we really know, dear church, all those suffering right now under our noses? Are we afraid to say something, to vocalise our support, in fear of being put in the same basket I've been put in? Don't want to be seen as a conspiracy conspiracy theorist anti-vaxxer? Or maybe we don't agree with their choice. But isn't that what we do as pastors, as the church? We love people regardless of their life choices. 
Or are we too scared too and just relieved that we dodged a bullet this time, that we will still get income, be allowed to travel, live our life unhindered? But what if the bullet comes for us next time or the time after that? Are we really okay with knowing a lot of our people cannot go into Kmart or Target to buy Christmas presents? They can't travel interstate to see family. They can't go eat at a cafe after church or sit with a friend to have coffee. Let me tell you some of the stories people have written to me. People from our churches. There's a single mum of four who told me she can't have the vaccine due to massive drug allergies. She has not had a vaccine since she was small for this very reason. She lost her first job due to COVID and after finding a second will now be sacked from that as the vax is mandated for that profession now too. She's also locked out of her home country with no support or hope for return. Every day she bravely tells her kids, God's got us, we're going to be okay. Then there's the young mum who is very well known in a certain creative field. Her work will dry up due to not being allowed into venues. On top of that, she can't say anything in her church community because she's told she's that anti-vax person, so she's suffering quietly. Young person after young person have told me they have lost part-time jobs. Parent after parent have reached out to me, telling me how proud they are of their son or daughter standing up for the values they were raised in. Church, we should be telling them how proud we are too. Then there's the nurse who wept on the phone to me as she told me of the harsh emails telling her she was in breach of the Queensland Health Code of Conduct and she cannot return to the profession, which is part of the very core of who she is. Then there's my friend's mum who has just lost her admin job in a hospital that she has worked in for 15 years. She tells of how she migrated to Australia from a communist country And she is fighting because she can see the writing on the wall that Australia is heading that way again. Do you know that the mother, about the mother whose young daughter has a complex heart condition and how petrified she is of not being able to get her treatment if some politicians get their way of not treating the unvaxxed? Or the couple who were trying to have a baby going through gruelling rounds of IVF who are scared that getting the vaccine will affect their fertility or the baby were they to have one. Also, this means that the wife is about to lose her teaching job with the mandates about to come in in her state. She's been teaching for more than 10 years. She's a phenomenal teacher and the government will strip that from her just like that. Just a few days ago, A Girl Next Door listener told me how her family owns a chiropractor's clinic. Like my chiropractor and so many around Australia, they're not okay with being forced to get an experimental medical procedure. But now they've taken up legal action like tens of thousands of others as they face losing their careers and their practices. As of December 6, this girl's father will no longer be able to practice and he's the sole breadwinner of the family. I've sat face to face with people telling me their families will no longer talk to them. They aren't welcome at Christmas. Most people I've spoken to feel violated because they went and got the vaccine because they were forced. Forced for so many different reasons. And they need our support too. But I understand what is going through some of our minds. Just everyone take the darn thing so we can all get back to normal. 
except some people can't and others don't want to and others were backed into a corner and they had no choice. And why should they be punished for questioning or researching and coming to our own conclusions? Don't you think they know all their lives would be much easier if they just said yes? Except they have a deep conviction in their hearts that stop them. And we should celebrate that too. Because isn't that what we, the church, have actually taught them their whole lives? To live by their conviction? To be in the world and not of it? Church, have you talked to as many young people as I have? Sat down with them week after week like I have at the Youth Alive Academy. There we look at one another in the eye. And we ask, how are you doing? And what's happening with you? And we listen as we share story after story. We did this just a week or so ago. I got it, one said, because my little sister died of meningitis when she was a baby. Another said, I got it because my mum has cancer and I don't want to bring it home to her. Another, I'm not getting it because a young leader in our youth group was injured from it and now can't work. I got it because I had to for work, but I didn't want to. And I don't want it, but I'm too scared to tell anyone. And they turn and look at me. For someone to tell them, it's okay, you're okay, your choice is okay. For reassurance that they can still or should be able to make choices without being vilified. And in the conversation itself, they find comfort. And they know that they are seen and they matter, no matter their choice. And some are being punished for their choice. Apparently, they've made the wrong choice and they're scared. And this is really all we can be doing right now making sure they know they are seen, they are loved, and their choice is okay too. Just now, as I am writing this, some mail arrived at my house. Inside, there is a card and a voucher from a lady I've never met. I know her daughter. Both of them are beautiful, God-loving ladies. Both were about to be temporarily suspended from their nursing jobs. So in a last-ditch effort, I wrote them up a long, comprehensive letter to help them apply for a religious exemption. In her card, she penned these words. Dearest Renee, I read your letter of support again yesterday and was moved to tears once more. No matter the outcome, I will always remember your selfless effort, kindness and support expressed through the letter. And I too am moved to tears. Church, let's do what we do best. Love people well, all people. Let us not let the government have their way to segregate, divide, and create worthy and unworthy groups in society. Church, remember who we have been all throughout history, the change, the history makers. We've been intricately entwined with history, and it's time to do it again. Our very calendar itself revolves around our Jesus birth, from schooling to medical care to arts, culture, philosophy, and politics, we have shaped society. The teachings of Jesus, such as the Good Samaritan, are among the most important sources of modern notions of human rights. According to a review of the Nobel Peace Prizes given for the past 100 years from 1901 to 2000, 65.4% of recipients identified Christianity as their religious preference. Christians were the first people in history to oppose slavery Historians record that prior to Christianity, the ancient world left very little trace of any charitable effort. 
Christian charity of clothing the poor, feeding the hungry, tending to the sick, has had sweeping impacts across the world. Medical history was changed at the end of the 4th century with the founding of the first Christian hospital. And it was a bishop named Basil who started the first formal soup kitchen, homeless shelter, hospice, poorhouse, orphanage, reform centre for thieves, women's centre for those leaving prostitution and many more ministries. These ministries were given freely without religious discrimination. Basil refused to make any discrimination when it came to people needing help, saying, quote, the digestive system of the Jew and the Christian are undistinguishable, end of quote. Where are our Basils? For aren't the digestive systems of the vaxxed and the unvaxxed undistinguishable too? Dear church, we have always shaped history. We've always made society a better place. It's our time to do that now again. What will we be remembered for in this time in history? Will we be known as the church who were led by society, who closed their door to a certain group of people, who said nothing when people were losing jobs, livelihoods for saying no to a medical procedure? Or will we be remembered as the church who intervened and saved our society, who refused to allow people to be left out, segregated, who marched against mandates and fought for people's rights to make autonomous choices for their body? Did we pray from the pulpits and sit with them in the pews? Did we look them in the eye and tell them, not on my watch, this must stop? Or do we say silent, pretend it's not happening? Will we stop calling people anti-vaxxers, adding to pain and segregation? Will our charity sweep the world again as we look after those who have lost their paychecks? Will we weep with those who weep and rejoice together when we win? Because we are going to win. Will we fight for human rights, which were based on the teachings of our Saviour? Will we, will we abolish segregation like we did in the 60s? Will we use our platforms not to look out for ourselves, but instead look after others? Let me end with a story told by an old man. My intention is not to compare World War II and the Holocaust to what is happening now, but it is the principle behind what this story can teach us. I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. I attended church since I was a small boy. We had heard the stories of what was happening to the Jews, but like most people today in this country, he said, we tried to distance ourselves from the reality of what was really taking place. What could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we would hear the whistle from a distance and then the clocking, clacking of the wheels moving over the track. We became disturbed when one Sunday we noticed cries coming from the train as it passed by. We grimly realised that the train was carrying Jews. They were like cattle in those cars. Week after week that train whistle would blow. We would dread to hear the sound of those old wheels because we knew that the Jews would begin to cry out to us as they passed our church. It was so terribly disturbing. We could do nothing to help these poor, miserable people, yet their screams tormented us. We knew exactly at what time that whistle would blow, and we decided the only way to keep from being so disturbed by the cries was to start singing our hymns. 
By the time that train came rumbling past the churchyard, we were singing at the top of our voices. If some of the screams reached our ears, we'd just sing a little louder until we could hear them no more. Years have passed and no one talks about it much anymore, but I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. I can still hear them crying out for help. God forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians, yet did nothing to intervene. What will we do, church? Will we sing a little louder while the train rumbles past our churches? Will we do nothing? Or will we instead run to help, to intervene, to instead raise our voices in harmony together with the cry of no more, not on my watch? And instead of asking ourselves, what will be the price if we do, why don't we instead ask, what will be the price if we don't? All right, so there you go, guys. I hope that that's a challenge for all of us who are part of the church as a whole. Um, And yeah, so share it around. And again, like I said last time, please feel free to come in and inbox me if there's, you know, a situation that you'd like me to add to my prayer list. Um, I feel like that's, you know, I'm doing everything that I can right now to to give people a voice and to um, just let people know that um, that there are many of us who do see and who understand uh, what you're going through. And uh, my hearts are with all of you and uh, I'm praying for you. Why don't we really encourage one another this week? All right. Have a great week and I'll be with you on Friday. Bye.